0: Alright, how's it going? My name's Matt Barr, you listening to episode 122 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. It's the show where I look at the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning into this one, hope you enjoy it. So I've got Chaz Smith, Charlie, to his friends on the show this week. I mean, I'm going to say Chaz is probably the most notorious surf journalist and writer on the planet right now really along with uh, Derek Riley he runs Beach Grip which is a hugely successful surf platform that's achieved notoriety by essentially shamelessly riffing on a theme that runs through surfing like a stick of rock it's that anti-authoritarian increasingly libertarian stance actually epitomized by the deification of people like Mickey Dora you know the deal, you know, if you if you follow any kind of surf or surf media, you, you know this trope and the result is that Beach Grip is a modern anti-val stronghold really, you know, cheered on by a vociferous and I'm going to say at times slightly homoerotic cheerleading squad of below the line commentators who gleefully take aim at absolutely anything in their sights that they deem to be contrary to that vision of surfing that I've just outlined, whether that's the WSL, a perennial target, or more recently, the COVID-19 surf ban situation, which is a particularly relevant point right now because, you know, that whole strain of protest, I think at the time that I'm recording this, you know, there was Huntington Beach had just had this huge protest of people. I mean, it's a peculiarly American response to this whole crisis isn't it you know people conflate in the stay at home stay out of the water orders as like an attack on freedom you know that's across society at large but in this case in particular is a further example of the wimpification of surfing as chas smith put it during our conversation you get you get the point they like to ruffle a few feathers and whatever you think of it they're definitely onto something. I mean, there's a case to be made that Beach Grit is the most successful media outlet of any board sport right now. A friend of mine in the industry, who I chatted to before this, sent me a message which said, Beach Grit has an insane amount of page views and unique visitors, shits over any of the board sports media. And because of their lack of need to make any money, not sure why that is, means they've had zero advertising constraints, can say what they want without pissing anyone off. And they're now in a position where they can make masses of money from YouTube and browser clicks, etc. So I'm setting it up. Beach Grit is this, you know, very, it's a monolith. It's a modern surf media monolith. Um, and then there's Chaz himself, who in the process has come to personify a particular type of surf writing trope there's that word again which I think you're probably going to be pretty bored of by the end of this episode you know the one the hard-drinking tough-talking alpha who's forever storming out of trade shows and picking literal and metaphorical fights with his peers and contemporaries the fearless iconoclastic slayer of sacred cows for whom no target is safe and who can leave no dung of controversy unpoked who's never happier than when he's rolling his sleeves up and diving into the comment section enforcing that brand of surfing non-conformity that is essentially the quintessence of the Beach Grit brand, if you like. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, I've always been extremely intrigued by Chasmith. Firstly, because we've got mutual friends who speak absolutely glowingly of him. And, you know, kind of made it clear that they thought the whole thing was a bit of an act, really. Charlie, you know, they'd say he charmed the birds out the trees. And it was an impression confirmed when I briefly met him in California last year. And he, and me and Toza were afterwards were like, God, he was nice. And it certainly didn't square with the image that I've just outlined. And also, by the way, he approached this interview, which was really polite, completely stoked, massively helpful, and basically lovely. And then there's the act itself that I just described, because as well done as Chaz's version of it is, in its way, that, trope there's that word again is as much of a cliche as the very things that Chaz has spent his career railing against as the reams of cut price hunter S. thompson rip-offs that litter action sports media demonstrate i mean you can get away with it more in our little world which tends to be a, a little less culturally aware than mainstream culture but it's pretty played out that thing and I've long suspected that nobody was more aware of that than Charlie Smith himself, really. And, you know, all of which beg the question, where does Chaz Smith end and Charlie Smith begin? Fertile territory for an episode of the Looking Sideways podcast then. And reason enough to get him on the podcast and try and get him to talk about all that, which is exactly what I did. I'll be back at the end with the usual housekeeping corner. In the meantime, here's me and Charlie Smith, I'm going to say trash pros enjoy and how's life treating you over there now
1: it's okay the i mean the weather just got good again uh and the beaches here in san diego are kind of open but it's all just so absolutely nonsensical in terms of like they just opened them up i think it was on monday but you know we have a long stretch of beach here. Uh, it's North County San Diego, and a lot of different access points. But what they decided to do is open the beaches, but only open one access point. So they made a nice choke, choke like a f- mass humanity choke point.
0: They made a bottleneck uh, for you.
1: Yeah, just for just for fun. Just they closed off all the other stairs, all the other ways down to the beach. They allowed people to really bottleneck together and then spread out on the beach, I suppose.
0: Right, because that because. I spoke to somebody in LA the other day and they were saying that it, it was quite hard to kind of work out what was going on. Actually, he was like, well, they've opened the beaches, but then they're going to close them again. But it turned out it was just Orange County that got shot, right?
1: It is. Orange County felt the jackboot on the neck. It was, right. they were naughty. And so they got Governor Gavin Newsom's wrath. So yeah.
0: <laughs> and how, so, and how's, how's it going down? Because it does seem to be kind of degenerated into like a, a culture war at this point it, over there.
1: It, It is, which is so bizarre to me that uh, this is a, I mean, has become a political issue, I suppose, where I think I get thrown into the Trump supporting camp just because I'm skeptical about the, uh, about the response, which I couldn't care less about Trump. And it's bizarre to me that, yeah, it feels like if you're, you know, a Trump supporter or on that side of the, of the aisle, then yeah, you are skeptical about the, about the lockdowns and all that. And if you're, a liberal then you have to be supportive of like massive panic and locking doors and wear a face mask even when you're driving by yourself in your car
0: so did that did that evolve as it went on did it start out that people were kind of like broadly accepting of it but then as it's gone on longer and perhaps the numbers haven't been as anticipated and all that stuff everybody it has basically devolved
1: onto those sort of two lines that's what it feels. And then, and it, you know, the, it feels like there's numbers for both camps, like that, you know, there's numbers that, that suggest it's not nearly as serious uh, as it was made initially made out to be. And then there's numbers, of course, on the other side that it's the deadliest thing since the black plague. And so I think people have entrenched into their camps over here and then just find available data that supports their beliefs, which I guess is exactly the way it was before, which is frustrating because this thing, I felt could have, I don't know... Been nonpartisan, partisan Precisely, and and or made kind of different alliances, which I think it is a, at a small level. Like, I know people who, you know, are crazy, you know, I mean, die-in-the-wool liberals who are skeptical and so are finding common cause with people that they, you know, haven't listened to in years. So, But I would like to see that happening in a bigger way because I, I feel that, I don't know, this... The whole thing is just so weird, right? I mean, the both response to it, what it is, like it feels or my perception I guess is that the way people feel about it is based on their own personal belief systems as opposed to, you know, what it really is.
0: Yeah, I mean, so obviously over here we had Brexit, you know, for like 4 years. I think it's coming up for 4 years. And that was like I mean, I use the word culture war phrase cultural advisedly you know I mean that was like basically as you just described entrenched positions that you could you know find any amount of info data to back up your position and, and and you know create a, and similar to what's going on over there with Trump obviously like you said and I kind of was a bit like you I, uh, initially I thought wow it's nice to have something that w- hasn't devolved instantly along those lines because initially you know everybody was just trying to get their head around it but it is incredible how quickly that's happened and, I mean, even, completely. and even more, it's almost like in this country, it's another layer to that old debate, basically, because it's kind of perfectly, it's interesting that you say it's almost like crossing a few lines. You know, you said you've got liberal friends that question it and sounds like your position is somewhere in the middle of that, you know. But over here, it's definitely just essentially devolved back into those two two camps, really. You know, people either, and yeah, I think you're right. I think it's like left and right, isn't it? Left, Left people basically like, well, no, we need to, you know, we need to kind of hold this down, see where it leads, and people on the right, kind of either making a libertarian argument, or interesting enough over here, being massively pro-government. Yeah. The, the right is quite split, you know, because and it's tricky for the right, isn't it? Because you you know, either you back it and say they're doing a good job, or you kind of go even further down the other way and you say, this is all bullshit and it's unnecessary, which seems a bit, you know, more, ex- over there it seems like it's the extreme version of what's going on, right?
1: Yeah, completely so where do you where
0: do you sit on all that
1: i mean i just think that there's a not everywhere is new york city and i think there's the leaders over here are pretty absurd in how they're treating it like again like you know opening the beaches but making a choke point where people have to get together in very close quarters in order to pass each other um i think in california you know most most of the united states there's a lot of outside space a lot of fresh air And they just should have, I mean, to to, to a band, surfing just seems absolutely ridiculous to me. You know, surfing is, I think, the ultimate self-isolating sport or or social distancing (laughs) sport. And if anybody paddles, I mean, imagine if somebody, if you're out in the lineup and somebody paddles within six feet of you, right? Like, I mean, that doesn't happen even around here, at least, even, you know, on the best days where... Of course, there's places that are, you know, like tightly packed points and trestles, I guess, can get pretty packed in there, but you're never sitting within six feet of another surfer. So I don't know. I just think that the way that the officials have dealt with it, it seems like a lot more panic-based and fear-based than it is based on actually what's happening. And and again, you know, I mean, not to sound callous, but it is a disease that targets, you know, basically the immunocompromised, those with you know, obese underlying conditions, all that kind of stuff. And so to just toss the entire economy, the world's economy into the dumpster fire for this. I don't know that history will l- look upon this as one of leadership, human leadership's finest moments.
0: I thought, so do you, do you think anyone over there is handling it well? Because obviously, there's a few, you mentioned Newsom, you know, Cuomo in New York, obviously Trump. Um, do, you, do you kind of feel like, that, like the whole response has been pretty flawed?
1: I mean, it feels that way to me. I think that, and even Orange County's response, right? Which I love them and God bless them, but like getting their orders and then going out and protesting and all that kind of stuff, which I mean, I, again, I think that's what they should be doing because of those orders came through and, and singled them out. But it just seems that, I don't know, it seems like those who are anti now have been pushed so far. Or, or those who are anti-lockdown and all that have been pushed so far that now they're just like, well, screw this whole thing and just going out and being rude about it. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a good look, but also better than just cowering indoors. This cowering indoors business is, is just, I don't get.
0: And and when, when you say cowering, as in, because it's kind of linked to this, you know, we don't really do this over here kind of standpoint as well, isn't it? It feels like when you look at it from the outside, it's you know you're you saying like cowering indoors. Do you do you feel like what? Well, what do you mean when you say that?
1: I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to hide from a virus, right? Like, you think it's again, you think it's
0: inevitable that you got to interact with it at some point.
1: It's, I mean, for sure, like you're gonna have to deal with it at some point. And again, you know, of course, all the anybody pulls any of their anecdotal stories from everywhere, but Sweden seems like a pretty good case of. You know, let's protect the vulnerable the best we can, while also letting this thing kind of run through the healthy populations, just because it's I mean, human beings are not going to be able to stay six feet apart from each other for the rest of our lives. And of course, course they're waiting for the vaccine and whatever. But if this thing is like the flu and, you know, so what the vaccine will work 20 percent of the time. And but, you know, maybe that's all people need is a little bit of of mental comfort that there is some kind of protection yeah
0: whether it's treatment uh prophylactic treatment kind of like malaria pills or like effective medical treatment or but like you say i mean it's gonna it's gonna change soon right feels like over here it's gonna change within the next few weeks they're gonna have to lift it really because i mean
1: is there are people starting to bust out of the seams over there like here or is the weather not conducive to everybody wanting to be outside
0: well we had like six weeks of good weather actually that perfectly coincided with the first like period of lockdown like i say it's shit today yeah i think everyone's chaffing that everyone's a bit over it um and the, and a couple of things that you said as well like about how mixed messages from the authorities they've definitely been really guilty of that over here you know like so one thing they did was they said you shouldn't go to the to the pubs but they didn't shut the pubs yeah <laughs> so like so everyone's like well what, what do we do and then everyone realized that we're going to shut the pubs so obviously everyone went to the pub yeah because so i think things like that what, what it shows you is so they just haven't got a fucking clue no like they haven't that, got a clue and they're making it up as they go along clearly and that, you can see that by everybody's different response as well
1: that's the thing i think i think this is and i know people you know, people who believe in like real broad level conspiracies, like top-down conspiracies, like, you know, I mean, I think a lot of things get thrown into the conspiracy thinking camp, which aren't in fact conspiracies at all. Just, you know, I don't know the the alternative discourse, but a real like programmatic top-down, you know, the world leaders kind of are conspiring to do X, Y, and Z. I think this coronavirus just laid that, any thinking about that absolutely bare because it's been I mean, like you said, so willy-nilly, so half measure here and a weird overreaction here where none of it makes any sense. None of it's its not good for the economy. It's not good for the disease itself. It's not good for anything. It seems like, yeah, just world leaders just have lost their minds.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that maxim about conspiracies, isn't it? You know, don't put down to conspiracy what could be easily explained by ineptitude, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, and I think this is pretty much a case in point but you know obviously the surf debate has been fertile ground for you guys at Beach Grit you know the last few weeks you must have been a part of you that's kind of been relishing that the fact that it was the fact that you know there is just such a brilliant debate to be had right now
1: completely and that and initially especially like when I think the the visuals of people at the beach and people surfing you know that look like they're sitting close to each other in terms of the the way the mainstream media picked it up, was they were they were nice visuals, uh, and so the fact that surfing somehow became a flashpoint of of the larger debate for the first couple of weeks, I was over the moon about it. Now I'm so tired. Like it's a <laughs> there's there's nothing to say anymore, right? It's like okay, we can write about the next protest and the next protest and the next beach closure and the next arrest and the next whatever, and it just seems tired because there's no. You know, it's just, a. I feel the story's just dead at this point. I would just like it to get back to normal. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I will I would, happily I would jump off. I completely agree. Can
0: have, yeah, there's only so many times you can have that same debate, isn't there? Essentially. Yeah. The same argument. Like, did people, so were people not expected to surf? They basically said you shouldn't surf over there. Was that, the, was yeah, that how
1: it started out? It was, It's so it started out, I think there was pictures from, who knows where they might've even been pictures from New York or something where surfers were sitting close together. And so down here, the San Diego County authorities just thought, okay, that's it. We, and who knows why? I mean, I have no idea what they were thinking, but so banned surfing all of San Diego County, which meant no surfing at all. Like it was, it was a crime. So to go to the beach, right. and try to surf, you'd get, you'd get either arrested or ticketed, uh, to, you know, to be even in a park stalling for a minute was a crime. Orange County left a bunch of theirs their beaches open, but it was all just this weird patchwork of regulations. Like I think the state beaches were closed, but city beaches in certain cities were open. So it was kind of this, yeah, a random patchwork. So if you wanted to surf, you go up to Orange County, which is obviously bad for Orange County to have San Diegans and people from Los Angeles coming down. So yeah, but it was but it was a crime. Down and, and here.
0: Did you um did you find when that so when that kicks off it, I'm interested in how it works at beach Grit. Do you, cause it's you and Derek basically. Right. So do you, yeah. when you got a story like that, are you both a bit like, right, we can, is there, is there an element of like editorial? Like, let's see how far we can push this.
1: Like, I mean, always, I think the, the beach Grit way is just to milk a story till it's absolutely dry. So any angle we can hit it from any, you know there's there's no such thing as too many stories on the most banal subject ever so initially yeah, i was just like all cylinders firing and i think we rarely discuss that kind of stuff uh it's mostly just i wake up in the morning here and start hammering and then <laughs> go to sleep and he wakes up in australia and starts hammering and oftentimes it's on the same subject
0: yeah i mean i guess you've you you are you are the you are beach girl right so it's not like you need to have the like the editorial meeting or whatever to like discuss it I'm sure it's just what you guys do but yeah I guess it's it was kind of, it it's always like perfect story for you guys this at one point wasn't it because it, it it was like it ticked so many different boxes you know authority um surf culture like how and how people react to these conformities which is a big theme of what you personally cool. do
1: isn't it completely surf surf as rebellion versus surf as you know as sort of a a healthy hobby or healthy pastime like it did tick so many boxes and i guess should still maybe but again this the story i feel has just gotten so stale there's no i mean speak of entrenchment i think those camps are so entrenched entrenched already and a funny thing i i guess though that i've come out of this i always thought always thought that uh, I don't know about humans in general, but we'll say surfers. I thought surfers were generally, and by surfers, I mean, you know, not Vals, but people who have who really identify as surfers and have surfed, you know, a, yeah. I don't know, whatever. Are they,
0: real, are they, are they,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I, the, whatever the definition yeah. of a, a yeah. real surfer is. Uh, that real surfers were by and large rebellious. Uh, this has taught me that absolutely not, that it's a tiny percentage that feel any kind of rebellion and the vast majority are just you know going along and getting along and and you don't don't yeah aren't there's no punk left at all which I, th- I always thought there was so it was it was my bad
0: yeah I mean it's interesting because I I listened to your podcast you did with Tyler did you listen to the bit you did with Jamie before
1: and I I need to listen to the Jamie one I love Jamie Cause, so much
0: yeah because so I and I've chatted to Jamie a bit about this as well like he because so he, he interviewed Matt Warshaw for Hawk Magazine. I uh, don't know if you read that story that jamie did and and, is, and he talks about this jamie and his thing with tyler and he basically says that because because warshaw addresses this by the sounds of it and he kind of says yeah that's fine to a point but this is almost beyond that you know there should be th- there's a point when you've got to, you've almost got to park that because this is too serious i'm paraphrasing that's, obviously yeah yeah you know um but it just reminded me that when you when you just said that, because it kind of speaks to what you're saying, isn't it? You know, and that, and that has been a theme like when, you know, when you talked to Tyler, obviously you guys had a, you know, pretty decent debate about the herd immunity thing and all that stuff. And he was kind of the same as well, wasn't he? He was a bit like, you know what? We're pretty privileged. We, we, we should be able to park this.
1: For sure. And I think if you park your rebellion, then or if you park the little rebellious thing you have in your heart, then you're not a rebel anymore. Right. And of course, I guess, to Matt and Tyler's point, both obviously come from this whole COVID debate, I suppose, from a position that it's super serious. And both of them, I mean, Matt in Seattle and Tyler in New York, you know, saw a different side of it than i ever saw but i was sneaking and running through paris and germany i was gonna
0: say you were in europe like six weeks ago so you, yeah and, and when you were here that was like the fucking that was when everyone was panicking
1: basically yeah it was like mass panic but it didn't it wasn't even in you know running around berlin restaurants were still open you know we were me and young daughter were the only people eating out but everything was still open and it it, it didn't seem like it gripped europe with the Definitely with the f- same ferocity, but not with the stupidity that it, that it hit over here, I think. Well, that's the way it felt. <laughs> right.
0: Well, that's a, yeah, perhaps a general, general theme, eh? I think when you were over, when you were over here, like, it, it was the week after when everyone was like, okay, fuck. Because it was, a, it was like, you know, fiddling while Rome burns a little bit that week. Because I was in the French Alps that week that you were, that you were traveling and, yeah, everyone was just a bit, it was it was an era of unreality to it all, still wasn't there? You know, it was no, a bit it, like
1: it was that. completely surreal. It was it it just felt, I mean, fun, I guess, it, and you know, it probably doesn't age well, but it it probably will age well. The people who were having fun during this thing, I would imagine, will be the people who come out when you know, again, when history looks back, would say, ah, oh, well, look at those people. There was at least some people who weren't just hamstrung by fear.
0: <laughs> so when you were saying. The rebellion thing like why why is that important
1: okay it's, it's it was always a part of surfing for me it was surfing as rebellion to you know both my upbringing not my upbringing i guess but but where i lived right like i grew up in in a real redneck uh town like a you know if, i don't know does everybody know what redneck means? Everybody knows what. Redneck oh yeah, means, yeah, yeah. Everyone, yeah, everyone's okay. seen Easy Rider. Everyone, yeah, good, yeah, perfect, yeah. But a full redneck town. So surfing to me was rebellion against that culture, right? And then coming down to California, where it's not rebellion down here necessarily, but I always felt it was rebellion against against a normal life, kind of like you were a surfer, and that's what you were. You weren't a, you know, economist or a banker or a or you know whatever. The surfers were actively well, rebelling. There
0: was there was me. It still had meaning then, didn't it? Yeah, you know, like it's like it, it comes up a lot in the chats I have on this show, like especially because what what are you like late thirties, early forties?
1: Um, yeah, forties. Y- yeah, not even early anymore. Forties. Yeah, and you know, like back
0: because I'm forty four, and like it it was legit counterculture, wasn't it? Whatever, however you got into it, you know, you got into it. I got into it when I was like skateboarding when I was like thirteen. So what's that? Eighty nine you know and i'm from england so it genuinely was a counterculture over here to to do that but obviously in the and this is the most original observation ever but like like in the intervening 30 years it it just isn't like that anymore is it you know so do you see your role as i guess the question is and i think from your output it's pretty clear what the answer is but is your role to protect that
1: i I, i've always thought yes like not to protect it necessarily but just to remind people and That this is what it is. This is what we are. We are, we're rude and we're, yeah, we are the counterculture, right? We're out of step with culture. We have different belief systems, different things drive us more or less. And those things always need to be cherished. And I always, again, before coronavirus, I thought that, you know, there wasn't the majority of people who surf didn't feel that way, but there was a good, you know, 30, 40% of surfers had that, you know, little rebel yell in their in their hearts still even if it was buried a bit but this coronavirus the way surfers have tattled on each other and (laughs) outed each other and went crying to the authorities and all this stuff makes me think oh man this the rebel faction in surfing is minuscule it is tiny it's it's so and how does that make you feel it made me feel sad it makes me feel like oh i've i've been operating thinking that my team is small (laughs) But it is robust. And now I realize, no, my team is robust. But it's there's like eight people.
0: <laughs> wow. I mean, you. But you've you've mastered that community, though. Surely, surely that's what 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 you've done, you guys.
1: I mean, for for sure, and hopefully we continue to be a space where that part of surfing lives. Uh, even if it's even if it's just simply a you know questioning of authority, like not just a. Derek wrote a story the other day about surfers putting our own necks under the jackboot, which, you know, it feels like that's what we've done. So many, so many surfers have done through this whole coronavirus thing, and if beach grit can just be a place where the counter narrative lives to just a just a yeah like self uh, self imprisonment, then yeah, I would like for that to keep going.
0: So the challenge is the point, though just to just to like you know poke away at these changes cuz Cause, 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 you know it it is real isn't it like the fact that an olympics comes along or outside people come along you know you've got obviously you've got a few easy targets that you return to time and again you know with what what, what you guys do but the point is serious isn't it the point is like it is worth protecting presumably I mean,
1: I- I think I think so. I think without without that, if surfing just becomes a uh, a mirror image of what the World Surf League, you know, pushes out, then surfing has lost everything. I think. I mean, I guess just my opinion with surfing has always been: yes, I love the act of sliding on waves, but the act of sliding on waves is only part of what makes a surfer a surfer. Like there being a surfer, I feel is. It's a, it's an attitude and it's a way of looking at the world, as much as it is the physical thing we do. Can you
0: protect that in the face of the just exponential growth though that that is inevitable?
1: No, but I but I I, I suppose I doubt uh, the exponential growth theory. I think that really? surfing is difficult enough <laughs> uh, to sort of self regulate a bit. So as long as there can be and again maybe it's time to build a bigger rebellion somehow but as long as there can be a little rebellious faction enough people will be falling off unable to surf or unable to keep interest because it's a pain in the ass to do more or less uh that yeah i mean i just i guess i just don't see surfing growing huge and i know that people will look at surf schools and you know i don't know a bunch of people out on soft boards and all that kind of stuff but how many of those people will stick with it right i mean i think it ebbs and flows and has ebbed and flowed through history but i don't think our val boom is is gonna hold
0: really i don't think do you it feels like over here that is yeah that feels like the growth area to me over here I I, i mean i don't you know i grew up in the shadow of california I don't know California beyond like a surface level, probably cliche of what Californian surf culture stands for, and you know sideways culture generally. So I can't speak to that because I just wouldn't be qualified. But I feel like, I, and and obviously it's different in Europe. You know, you've spent enough time in Europe to to know that. But over here, it feels like it feels real. That it does feel like that, that is growing that that part of it.
1: It it feels like to from my perspective from here. It feels like England, the UK really discovered or, or really didn't discover, but surf culture now is a thing there where yeah. it wasn't maybe before there were surfers, but there wasn't a surf culture. Now it feels like the surf culture is there. And so I wonder if, you know, but I wonder if there was room for growth, right? If there was room to fill out a bit more and then just watch the, the person who, you know, stood up and went straight in the whitewash and at Cornwall. <laughs> and uh <laughs> have you have you been to have you been to england have you served england i have yeah or the, I or, have. The, or the uk where'd you go i went to cornwall oh you How did that's it Cornwall. cornwall yeah what new yeah new that's wow right. yeah when was that it was in 1996 or seven okay Well, and you were just traveling around doing well, yeah doing I, was, I actually i studied at oxford for a semester so it was oh, you did during that time yeah
0: Oh, okay and what, what was Keeble that college. was that
1: like uh just an exchange thing it was kind of yeah they they had a program there uh called the i think the middle eastern and renaissance studies program at Keble college so i had to drop out of college and then go study there and then drop back into college
0: right okay see so yeah but you feel like
1: it's over here we've finally got a bit of a fold. you can see that it it feel and it feels like from my perspective outside that now English surfing is a thing, uh, where before it just seemed like there were people in England who surfed. Yeah, but but now it feels like there's a distinct English surf culture.
0: And what? Do you So I'm really interested in that. So what does that look like to you? Like
1: uh, it looks like a mix to me of kind of uh, a little or not a little more, a lot more a more culturally sophisticated um east coast surfer like those the not florida but like you know yeah, the, like the, the north northeast yeah, yeah. the, the mean new, York. new, new york's yeah. a good example right yeah precisely precisely so it seems like a more culturally sophisticated version of that and by culturally sophisticated i mean like just in the english way in the downtown abbey kind of way <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah in the yeah i think that's a really good comparison actually cuz i think i think they do you know obviously there's a few obvious um, points of comparison but yeah i think that's fair
1: like i Definitely. think the, the surf that's not notably good but can get good sometimes yeah and you Pretty know cold uh, yeah cold uh, a band of people who really are on it like i'm sure you yeah. can totally score if you know exactly wind tide where to be you know and have you know boats or whatever to get there uh but then you know most people just just having fun surfing
0: yeah yeah, yeah. I think I, I chatted to a friend of mine who is like a British longboarder who's you know traveled a lot and I guess over he'd, he'd be considered to be like a, you know, a professional British surfer. Um, yeah, I think I think we were saying the same thing that we're still we're still kind of out on a little little limb somewhere, but it is it is developing for sure.
1: Which so, does that does that does that feel good to you or do you worry that okay, we're just going to have a I mean, cuz there's absolutely no way that enough people are going to crowd Nuki Nui. Uh, I mean it's
0: the same argument over as everywhere in the world. It's just too many, everyone, too, many every, too many.
1: Everyone thinks it's too crowded.
0: Everyone's arguing about wave pools because obviously we've had a few of them. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean everybody ev I mean I where I surf in Brighton, which is like an hour south of London, which is probably the shittiest surf in the UK really. Good like there's a scene, there's people you know, there's people surfing today. Um even even here everyone's arguing about, you know, it's too busy. Quality waves, like it's universe, isn't it? Human nature.
1: But but to me, those are the fun. Also, some of the fun parts about surfing: the fact that surfing as a as a thing, hopefully, and and again, hopefully, with the wimpification of it all, that uh, <laughs> that people people will still go out and bark in the lineup and stuff, right? Even the guy who just started surfing, hopefully, he gets out there and figures it out enough to go bark somebody off his wave. So when you talk
0: about that's a great phrase the wimpification of it or you know however you want to say it, the commodification of it like and, and i guess i'm thinking of people like elo who is who is obviously like a perennial target for you guys is is it that that's that you object to the fact that you've kind of got these people i'm going to use the word stakeholders because it's relevant in this time you know who who want to like fuel the growth you know because it's 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 a, it's a big topic in any of these sports isn't it you know there's always people that are like it's going to grow we might as well control it but then they fuel the growth which takes it further away from what it originally was you know is that is that why yeah well i guess the question is what's your stance on on that particular
1: phenomenon it's it's not the growth let surfing grow to be the biggest thing in the world but package it in a package that's real like sell it what it really is I feel and sell the sell the bad bits too right sell the drugs and the and the sordid history and the nasty characters and all of it right like surfing is not a I don't think a pristine it's you know clean scrubbed nice sport it has a it has warts and it's you know what makes it good is also why it's bad and I feel that World Surf League Eric Logan in particular you know, coming from the background he came from, really took a scrub brush to it <laughs> and is presenting this vision of surfing. That's just, it's not reflective of surfing, I think. So if you're going to sell it, sell it for what it is. Don't sell this fake, you know, Disney version of what you want it to be or what you think will sell. Uh, uh, what is driving that though? What What is driving that vision? I think it's just sheer panic that they have money invested in it and they need to sell something to a broader audience, to a non surf audience. And this is what they think will work, right? They think that, and maybe, you know, I don't get to see their data. I'd be real dubious if it is working there, you know, the content they put out from Transform to whatever else. But I think they feel that if they have this super neutral slash crazy positive uh, slash, you know, Sunny Boys and Happy Girls doing beautiful things uh that that's what will will catch with main you know mainstream audiences
0: yeah but but you know to even peel it back another layer though why does it need to catch the mainstream audience i mean i think
1: they're they're they need to make money they need to make up their they've got they've got a beast that needs feeding for sure for sure and they and bill and you know probably at this point millions upon millions upon millions of dollars fed down the mouth of this thing and you know i'm sure dirk ziff can write it all off but i don't know how long you can continue to write off a losing investment
0: i thought that was really telling on your conversation with pat and eric on your podcast the other day i think i can't remember who said it one of them said like the problem we've got is describing what our thing is and you were like no we don't that's not a problem like and you just straight away were like it's you know bang it's that um and I did, you know, there's always this argument, like, we need to make it like tennis, you know, we need to, we, it needs to be, and I am always a little bit baffled by that, because it's like, at some point, surely you have to say, like, this is what our thing is, you know?
1: I mean, that's the thing, too, is I think, uh, I'll get, who did I, I got in a debate with somebody else about it, too, That that surfing is hard to describe, or it's hard to understand who's better or worse, because, you know, the judging is so subjective, and you have to know this move and that move, and... Whatever, but I think that's only true when people are surfing shitty waves. I think yeah. that you could put, you know, two world class surfers, Gabriel Medina and Edlo, out at world class, <laughs> you know, at, at a good day at Cloud Break, and I think the general public could pick the better surfer uh, eight times out of ten. Just well, you well know, that's what surfing's got going
0: for it. I mean, like above and beyond skateboarding and snowboarding, and if you take those as examples, like a much overused word gladiatorial. Everyone in the fucking world can watch people surfing a wave, preferably a big wave, and understand that as a concept. As and 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 like you say, and intuitively go, that guy's better at that. Whereas yeah. like skateboarding, I mean, I would buy that in skateboarding. It is a problem in skateboarding, like because basically and snowboarding, you end up just beating people around the head with like, no, that was really hard. You know, you the, need to you need to appreciate how hard that was, but sir, you don't need that in surfing. No, not I, at all. And that's the
1: that's the. I mean, I've been to going to. Uh, you know, my wife represents skateboarder, so I was I went to a solid I don't know five years worth of street leagues, and I grew up surfing in action sports. You know, skateboarded horribly, but skateboarded. I could not understand the first thing over five years. I could not understand like every single time a score went on the board. It would be an absolute mystery to me how that score was what it was, or why that surfer was, or skateboarder was better than the other one. But which yeah. is exactly that. Oh, he did it switch. Well, okay, great. But it wasn't, I didn't understand that. We're, yeah, surfing, I mean, a guy gets a long barrel. I mean, yeah. So maybe, maybe it's only easy to understand if it's barrels, but I don't think so. I think that, I think surfing is not that hard to understand, only hard to understand in, you know, knee-high slop when you have guys, you know, tend to the beaching. Then maybe, okay, well, which turn is better than which? I, you know, I don't even understand that.
0: So what, what were your, th- I mean, I, I'm sure I can guess, like the latest announcement from, from them. What 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 did you think of that?
1: I think it's, I mean, personally, I think it's good, right? I think they're on a good path to, in order to, I don't know, that having the Challenger Series as a separate thing in the same calendar and then the wsl or the or the championship tour um i think that uh i i like that from a fan's perspective i think they really need to cut down on the draw i mean they, they need to be able to finish these events in a one you know a one swell window and that's it so you know i on the talking to elo and pat i was like, who the hell cares what peterson cresanto thinks right like i oh, maybe keep made me laugh Peterson Cresanto out, <laughs> but like, why are you give? Why are you giving him even a say? Like, you got to tell him, Pat. Hey, Peterson Cresanto. Unfortunately, nobody cares about you. You can pack <laughs> your bags and and go down to the Challenger Series and make people care about it about you if you want. You know, really, uh, either become a flashy personality or really start ripping. But the the guys who sit kind of in the low twenties and and uh, or high twenties and low thirties, nobody needs to be there. Right, I mean, there's what sixteen, eighteen max interesting surfers in the world that that anybody wants to watch.
0: Yeah, I and then you, I, I think you named them off
1: the top of your head, didn't you, in that conversation, basically? Yeah, and that was it, and that's it. And otherwise, sure, it's, if you need a star, which of course you would, like, who where's the next generation come from? Then let guys go there and let them work on captivating us as opposed to just throwing them in. Okay, these guys are all interesting too, when they're very clearly not.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, it's like they try to tick too many boxes, aren't they? At, at points, it can it can seem like we've got to fit all this in. You know, we've got to try and do all this. You know,
1: which which is, I mean, uh, for the for the diehard fan at work, I think when you have eight hours of a day to fill at a desk, and you got a surf contest coming on that is going to last all of those eight hours, that's fun. But besides that, I mean, the format is ridiculous as yeah. it is now.
0: Yeah, I would I would agree. I personally, not that it really matters, just don't really find it that watchable a lot of the time, really. No. And, I, and I'm, I'm somebody that should be, you know, should be watching it, really. But it, I just I just find it
1: too, I don't know. I just don't, I find it a bit cack-handed the way they do it. It's It's fun to have it on, I think, as background. And there's, yeah. you know, a couple heats a year that are fun to actually sit and watch every minute of it. But yeah, I mean, we should be the diehards. And you know, if I if I miss an event, an entire event, I mean, I'm a sticked. This is my job. I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. I'm, you know, I missed Rio. Oops. Do they try, do they ever try and bring you in? Never. No, they they. Uh, I did with Paul Evans. Do you know Paul Evans? Yeah, I know Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, uh, Paul Evans and I, uh, a handful of years ago now, called the it was like a one star Swatch Girls event in uh, a. <laughs> in france wow. and i was somehow you, you, you and paul on that <laughs> yeah i was somehow allowed to be in the booth and that was it for me i i think paul got in big trouble for my behavior and then right i have never been asked back right i think they're mad Elo. i think elo likes to push out like the oh we'll, we'll invite you in for this or that or the other thing but never never i i hear from reports from other people that the world League reaches out to that they specify Beach Grit and Smith is not invited to partake in any of this stuff.
0: I mean, he, he he's just consummate pro, isn't he? Like on, on the on the PR side, you can tell, you know, he's like, he's just a very smooth operator and he, you know, it, it looks like he kind of brings it in when he wants to and, and dabbles with it. He, he like, really,
1: he's really hard to pin down too. It's just, it's just a bunch of air and so you <laughs> just can't pin him to the wall.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because he, like, you know he'll engage every now and again won't he you know he'll come on shows and he'll he'll do that but yeah it never it always feels like he's he's got a barrier up you know there's not not much beyond that really yeah so you mentioned is it Oregon you're from is that right Oregon yep right so yeah how'd you get into this then you know you mentioned that you you grew up with like probably similar story but how how did Oregon lead to beach grip
1: uh, I mean grew, grew up on the Oregon coast but my cousins live down here in North County San Diego so we would come visit them every summer and I remember it was probably must have been I don't know 8 years old when we came down and you know they had been into surfing or, or boogie boarding I guess you know forever and it just grabbed me and I I loved California so much and did not like Oregon so much so going back home I just wanted to recreate you know I thought okay Sure, it's freezing and it's rainy and it's fairly miserable, but I I have an ocean and they have an ocean. So just trying to recreate what California felt like up there is how I got into it.
0: And how about the, the journalism and the writing? Was that also something that you, you grew up with an interest in?
1: No, I mean, I yeah, like I, I sort of fell in love with reading, uh, I guess at Oxford. Um, I was supposed to be, I can't even remember what I was supposed to be reading, whatever m- medieval or Renaissance literature, but I... For some so reason, just gra-
0: so that's what you did. You did a medieval and Renaissance literature
1: at, at Oxford, yeah. But wow. that wasn't my my field. But uh, you know, so I, for some reason, I picked up Camus though, and right. that that was the first sort of book that just grabbed me. So I I just voraciously read from then you know uh, until probably probably now. But I never thought about writing. It was I think I I thought about the idea of writers and how you know, epic writers were like Camus with his dangly cigarette and the collar flipped up and the French rain or, you know, the way Hemingway looked and what they wrote, but also who they were as people. So I, I probably fell in love with the idea of writers. And then, uh, yeah, when, when buddy and I first went to the, or first surfed in Yemen, um, he wrote a story for surfer and we also had the Australia surfing life one of the story. So I just wrote that one. That was the first thing I'd ever written. And it was so awful. I thought I will never write again. I remember getting it in the mail, the issue, and reading it and just thinking, this is like, you know, the idea in my head, what I sounded like, and then reading it on a page was just like, oh, so I don't, I think I didn't write again for, I don't know, probably a year. And then we went to Lebanon for a Vice uh, magazine thing. And yeah, I wrote that one. And that one somehow accidentally came out funny. And so then I've been writing ever since then.
0: Really? So you never had, it wasn't something that you grew up really thinking was an option for you? You know, you didn't, No, never. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's quite interesting. So um, like you said that you did the Yemen story. Um, what was that confidence thing? Like you just didn't think it was good enough? So you didn't pursue yeah. it?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I literally, I thought, okay, I can be a writer. I like writers. Writers are cool. I could be a writer. I want to be a writer. And then read it again and it was probably the first i mean i was a i was you know i'd written school stuff and whatnot but that was the first published piece i'd ever had and it was just so awful it was so terrible yeah so was, i just thought i did, it was so it was bad enough for me to think oh i'm i'm very clearly not a writer so right. there we go so
0: how, and what we did on the trip obviously surfing but we was was that a trip you organized or how'd that come about
1: yeah yeah we uh just it was right after 9-11 and um uh I remember learning or hearing that Osama bin Laden you know obviously Osama bin Laden once he emerged as kind of the mastermind behind this uh and they kept mentioning Yemen that's where his family was from Yemen and I never really thought about Yemen before uh my dad was always real interested in Yemen for some reason uh when I was a kid, I guess. So I take that back. He, he, every National Geographic that would come from Yemen or had Yemen as a feature, you know, we'd always pour over those ones. So maybe from that, like the fact that Osama bin Laden's family was from Yemen and all this, and then my buddy was getting his PhD in Islamic Studies at UCLA. So my best friend. So I went over to his house and I remember just looking at the at the map of Yemen and thinking. There's got to be surf here, right? Like, I mean, it's Indian Ocean. Like I thought, the Horn of Africa, of course, is going to shadow a bunch of it. But after that, there's, I mean, they've got to get swell, and there's monsoons and all that. So, but nobody had ever surfed mainland Yemen. So, yeah, you know, we just thought, okay, this is perfect. It's after nine eleven. It's you know hot. You know, there's all kinds of Al Qaeda business going on there, and nobody's ever surfed it. So it seemed like the perfect combination. And it was a story that you were going to do, or just yeah. Start? So, I mean, we just want to do the trip, but then I thought, okay, how are we going to pay for this thing? So we pitched it to Surfer. And then, so Surfer, back in the days when magazines would give you money up front. So Surfer gave us money up front for it. And then OP, uh, the the now defunct surf brand, threw us money. And then we cobbled together enough, you know, none of us were even good at surfing, but cobbled together enough surf money to go do it. How was it? I mean, it was epic. It was it was so amazing, and you know, by the time we had gotten all the way to the Omani border, I mean, yeah, like it was the. I mean, I guess seems hackneyed now, but the you know Yemenis coming up and touching our hair and, you know, looking at our eyes and stuff. They were the, we were the first white people they'd ever seen. Like we went deep and yeah to places. I mean, Yemen is just such an outstanding company or company country, and. I mean, basically started a love affair with the place. I've been back, you know, I don't know, me and the same friend, drove the whole thing on motorcycles and then went back later and we circumnavigated again. So that's the, I have a book coming out in July, which is basically Love Affair with Yemen. Oh, really? Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. sure what
0: your next project was. Cause
1: that's it. Cool.
0: Right. Um, so, and that's just those those trips.
1: It's those trips with, uh, with Wanda Lebanon mixed in the middle.
0: So I, I went snowboarding in Lebanon. Where, where, yeah. where, 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 where did you go? Uh, obviously, obviously Beirut.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been to Lebanon so many times everywhere. I've been snowboarding too, up there and
0: it's, I've on the fucking hill. fucking loved it over there. It's How good so, is it? It's so good. And everyone's always
1: like, what? You know, but it's, I, I thought it was amazing. Love to go back. It's a fantastic country. Yeah. I mean, and so diverse from the north to the south to the Bekaa Valley. To, I mean, yeah, Lebanon is a phenomenal country. So, I mean, it wasn't that usual
0: at that time for you. I, you know, there, were, there weren't many people doing trips to like Lebanon, Yemen, um, in the surf media. So was that something you just, we, what was it about that? Was you just attracted to the the weird travel? You know, is it that I think, simple?
1: I think it was attracted to the danger initially of, you know, we did Somalia in there and it was it was comboing up and I don't know why, but it was comboing surfing, which we were going to be doing anyway, kind of, you know, traveling with either geopolitical intrigue or you know just straight up danger or just going places i mean we were obviously i wasn't good enough to go get a get a surf money to go surf indonesia but you know we can go surf yemen yeah
0: and so obviously a bit more interesting as well yeah i mean
1: um yeah and just thinking of the places in this world that are still there's still places you know more or less unsurfed like the fact that you can still go have a if you want to a sort of endless summer surf adventure uh is pretty inspiring i think
0: so from that you started doing different trips different stories you mentioned vice and that's how it developed so yeah a career out of it
1: Derek, Derek Riley was at Stab, had just started Stab at that time. And he read that, uh, the Vice piece and then somehow got a hold of my contact information, emailed me and then that was it. So it was just, I started writing for Stab and then just off it went. And did you
0: kind of identify this, this area that we've been talking about? This sort of, you know, iconoclastic sort of like, finding these rough edges was did that develop or was that something that you kind of from the beginning thought you would explore
1: i think being such an outsider like being an oregonian and having an idea of surf but not really experiencing surf culture it was just whatever it was the way i thought it was in my head right and so and then watching people early on watching people get angry about that (laughs) i just wanted to push that more and more and more so you know, just making people angry probably way too much for the sake of making people angry at different times. But just causing anything to cause a conversation, anything to make people react in a way just to cause any kind of conversation. That's that's what intrigued me. That's
0: OK. So I intrigued you because of the reaction or because journalistically it's a way of getting good
1: copy. I think it's, I think mostly that, I mean, I think, and also if you can get somebody so mad that they just go and flame in a comment or anything like that, then now it's not so fun. I think, or that that's just become like trolling and all that has become a real thing. Right. But, or, or, you know, people just going on screens on Facebook. I think people are more or less tired of that. But when I was first started in surf riding, that, that didn't really exist at that level. So getting people to feel something so pent up that they just had to go i hate jasmine (laughs) on a message board i thought okay we're getting somewhere right like that person whether or not they engaged with what i was saying uh they had they had some visceral reaction to it and i love chasing the visceral reaction i did and I, i think it's stuck now as a thing but half the time i just whatever i'm writing i i honestly believe and just you know maybe think not this just stupidly differently
0: yeah i mean i guess that's that's the obvious question isn't it like how much of it is real how much of it is is because you know you've mentioned you know any writer has a persona doesn't matter who they are doesn't matter what you're writing about everybody's got it and you mentioned you know, Hemingway, I've heard you talk about Norman Mailer, you know, Camus, that's a that's a line of, you know, I'm guessing Hunter S. Thompson might even be in there, you know, it's a line of those kind of pretty male, you know, reaction-driven, you know, it's a, it's a trope, isn't it? It's like, and, and, and they're all personas, those people. Um, so I guess the obvious question is, and it's something that I often, when I read your stuff, you know, you can tell you enjoy the wind-up, you know, you can tell you enjoy, like, the reaction um and i guess what's been interesting about the covid stuff as well it's and that's why i kind of said earlier it's a perfect story for you almost because it's because you can push but i guess the question is like how is you've answered it really but is is it all real is it all how much of it is a persona and how much of it is 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 not
1: that that's uh, funny i've been struggling with it myself lately of being so sick i think this maybe. I'm pretty self isolated normally. Anyway, I mean, I think as a writer, like you know, coronavirus didn't really change my day to day, but yeah. it it's made me, I guess, go on a lot more podcasts. And uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was just coincidence, but I've become entirely sick of myself during this coronavirus time. Like really hating Chaz Smith, uh, whatever uh, this in, inv- in inverted commas, Chaz Smith. Exactly. And yeah. thinking, okay, this is, I've, I've pushed this thing, this style, and there's times where it probably was me. There's times probably where it wasn't. I was just winding up and seeing where it went. Um, yeah. but the, the, with the, this third book coming out, uh, it's very me centered again, just like welcome to paradise and cocaine and surfing, like it all, you know, very me in the center of it. And I would like to come out of this saying, okay, enough, this is there was a trilogy of me, 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 and Beach Grit as me, me, me. I would like to evolve into something better. I don't know what that is yet, but I'm I'm sick of Chaz Smith. I I can honestly say that I hate Chaz Smith at this point.
0: I mean, because you can tell that from your books, though, because you know you, you I, I, they're serious. You know they're funny, but there there are points to them, like clearly, and 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 you you know you're obviously trying to write something that's not just you know throwaway surf literature you know there's you know what i'm saying so like that's that's kind of why i asked the question really because i think you can tell that i think you can tell that 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 with you there, there are bigger ambitions let's put it that way you
1: know I, I i i i hope and i hope that i can do something bigger and better i like I've always wanted to write a great book. I don't think I've written one yet. Uh, but yeah, it's time for me to, to evolve, I think. So do you, have, do you know what that looks like? No, I have no idea. It's scary. But, right. Yeah. But I feel, it's funny. So, I mean, even with the this COVID time, where it does seem like the perfect storm for Chaz Smith. Uh, That's inverted I, commas Chaz Smith again, isn't it? i became yeah exactly exactly i love talking myself about myself in the third person I, I became absolutely disgusted by chad smith at the same time so it's a real bummer that I, that I didn't get to take my moment and really run with it
0: right so the 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 yemen book feels like a good conclusion
1: it feels like a conclusion to this to this yeah again persona i've never there was times that I did think of it as a persona. I mean, because my name isn't even stinking Chaz, right? Like, I mean, everybody's <laughs> called me Charlie my whole life. So when I first started writing, I started writing Chaz because it, it did feel like a persona then. Yeah. But then I think I became Chaz Smith at some point along the way. And now maybe it's time to, you know, shed Chaz Smith. But Wait, again, I not know how It's a self
0: fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Especially the role that you've created for yourself in this culture, like you say um and again that's why i asked the question because i did i have one of some time it's kind of fine if you enjoy it but if you if you get it's the minute you get bored of that that that's actually quite a difficult thing to to get out of isn't it because and, because because everybody in this little world has an idea of what it is
1: and i and i just i don't know what else to you know i don't <coughs> to to exacerbate people purposefully and just the dance i do i don't know that it ages well on a you know, I'm 44 too. And I don't know if that looks good on a 44-year-old man.
0: Yeah? Wow. Well, are you happy with the, with the new book?
1: I don't know. Uh, it was really, 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 really hard to write. I thought it would be easy to write. Um, it took me like a full year, which is rare for me, with multiple, like, throw, you know, get through 30,000 words and throw each and every word out the window and start from scratch. I think I did that three times. So I struggled with it and spent more time on it than anything I've written in my life. Um, but I don't know if it's any good.
0: What, what do you think the writers you
1: admire would think of your work? See, I don't... I, I, that it's shallow and empty and vacuous. That I... I pull punches way too often. That I uh, should have a point and not not be satisfied or not think it's funny to be pointless i think that's what they think
0: do you feel like um like it's a bit of a weird question i guess like you know surf culture surf journalism
1: or what you would call it does it feel a bit easy no because i think that there was a time when i first wrote welcome to paradise i thought okay i'm done with surfing at this point like there's i've said everything i need to say uh i am i even wrote a i'm going off to you know, do different things for surfing magazine, wrote my, you know, bid you farewell surfing and then kind of getting out of surfing for a minute, or I didn't even get out for a second. I think we started Beach Grit straight after that. But, uh, there was a time I really wanted to leave because I thought it was just vacuous. But then I realized, wait a second though, any, no matter, even if you're in politics, even if you're writing, you know, a movie or fashion or every world is, a world right and has good and bad surfing is as much a world as any of it has as rich a culture as rich a heritage as, as rich a history completely as any, agree with that yeah as any world and so it's just a matter of doing it well or doing it poorly
0: well I, I, another reason i asked that question is a lot of it comes down to your own ego as well doesn't it and what yeah. you and what you think is 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 good enough if that makes sense because i completely agree with you you know like there's there's absolutely nothing. I mean, the, the, having a career in surf journalism, having the career that you've had is, is, a, is a great thing. You know, to think of all the things that you've talked about, all the experiences that you've had, you've, all these books you've written, everything. But often it's your own inner drive, isn't it? Which is, which is saying to you like, yeah, there's probably something else I could be doing there. There's probably something, you know, a little bit worthier or not. I don't even mean worthier in an outside sense as in like for me to feel better about myself you know
1: and and at some point too i just don't know really what else to say right which i felt that before and then found another eight years i mean i think we started beach great what seven years ago so i've somehow found another seven years worth of things to say (laughs) but at some point you know and who knows maybe it'll be forever maybe surfing will be will be my field forever but if it is i i definitely need to evolve even in that like this I need to get better at what I do. I think I need to, for Beach Crit, I think writing, you know, two to three pieces a day and just grinding it out, grinding it out, I, I never have time unless I'm writing a book to actually pause and write well. I'm just spitting. Uh, and maybe, but, you know, in this day and age, who, nobody has time to sit and pause and read good writing anymore, right? It's just bam, bam, bam. It's clickbait. It's headlines. It's funny pictures. And that works. But... Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe at the end, that'll be my epitaph. He wrote funny headlines and attached them to amusing <laughs> pictures. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be a lot of people's headlines, I think. <laughs>
0: oh, so, what, 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 what's your plan today? Where you going? I want to write. Uh, what's so what, what? What's the routine when you're writing something weightier? Like, do you uh, can do you, Can you sit there and do four hours, or are you have you got? Are you looking at your phone? Like, how's uh, it work? Do you need to go to a beach shot and you know, no internet?
1: No, it takes me a minute to get into it. Always, like I'll be fiddling with my phone, fiddling on beach grit, like going back and forth. Have the have the Word doc up, but you know, be glancing, glancing, and you know, just kind of scatter shot. Sometimes I can never get out of the scatter shot brain. Uh, but when it works good, it's when I if I can lock in, then I can stay locked in for five, six, seven hours. And I mean, still, nothing makes me happier than writing. You know, I'd rather write than surf. Really. Yeah. I mean, I love surfing, but th- I still writing is the thing I do every single day. And it, whether it's good or bad or awful or vacant, it's still the thing I do every single day. Is it, is it a
0: difficulty that you enjoy?
1: Yes. As it's, in, you know, the, the feeling
0: like, cause it, you know, it is hard, isn't it? Like it is, what, on whatever level you are doing it to try and make sense of that and put it, down in a way that feels real and true whatever fe- you try to write about is, fe- is difficult
1: com- that feels real and true and that a better way to say it and actually getting to a, a deeper truth as opposed to a, and keeping a narrative moving in one direction that's both entertaining but you know has some value to it i mean the whole thing and i guess there's there's never a point where it becomes easy uh if you're trying to write well, right? Like, I mean, I could bang out. I mean, if Derek called me up this morning and said, "Oh man, we need 15 beach crit stories on the site in 20 minutes," I could probably do 15 beach crit stories in 20 minutes. But uh, to sit and write one small paragraph well, there's something there's something about that that is it's just endlessly difficult. And going back, I mean, even you know reading if i ever i never flip open my old books but if i have to for some reason uh flipping one open and reading paragraphs and both thinking oh, this should have been better but also finding the ones that i chuckle at and think ah that's a good one that's a that's a funny paragraph but maybe moving forward maybe i'd like to move out of paragraph to paragraph one being good one being bad and get a whole damn book that's good that would feel good
0: uh do you know that john steinbeck book the diary that he wrote when he was writing east of eden no. I should read that. It's great. Okay. So he What's had it? uh got to I think I might have it somewhere. If you do like Eastvdean diaries, he did like cuz he he wrote everything with a pencil, so he did like you know that that half he wrote a letter to his editor, that half he wrote the book.
1: It's really oh, that's, great. That's really fantastic. Okay, getting it. I need yeah. I need I need to start reading again. I think that's part of my problem is ever since I've stopped writing or started writing, I really haven't read. I didn't initially I didn't want my voice to sound like other writers and it so did at the start. But so I just stopped reading more or less. So I haven't really read for like eight years. So it's time to read again. Wow. Really? That's yeah. all. I mean, pick stuff up here and there, there, but you know, when I'm working like the Middle East book, uh, I read part of Theisiger's, uh, Arabian Sands, I think it's called just to, I read a couple just to see what, people were how people were dealing with the middle east at that point yeah but yeah but aside from that no i haven't like sat down and re- i mean a couple i guess i take that back but nothing nothing uh consistent and that was that was a purposeful
0: thing because you, you wanted to avoid the influence
1: initially yeah initially i just i didn't want to sound like the people that i was reading uh i wanted to find my own voice but then and then it just became sort of a habit not to read a, a bad habit right so do you feel
0: like you succeeded in that like developing that voice I, th-
1: I think so i think that you know however bad it is that i have a distinct writing style now um and construct sentences uniquely you say, think you, what, you're you quite negative about it about the the way i write about your work yeah it just, it just needs to be better It it i need to hit another level here like i feel that it's cute what i do but i don't want to be cute so who do you think's doing good work in like, surf?
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess it's the obvious reference point.
1: You know, I Any, I, I I really love love to death forever. I mean, and this is you know Derek Riley. Every sentence he writes, I feel is poetry. I love reading Derek, and I love Long Tom stuff. Steve Share on Beach Grit, I think, is if phenomenally, I think uniquely captures a surf contest and makes it literature, which to do that, I mean, is if people have not read one of Steve Shearer's contest drafts, it's even worth going and getting old ones and pulling them out. Like it's just so well done. Um, So in surf, I, I really like the way those guys write. And who else do I like? Uh, I love Warshaw when Warshaw gets on a clip. Um, I like still... I don't know why everybody hates him so bad, but I think uh, Matt George writes sort of a level of, if, if, it's, if he's pretending to be narcissistic and being able to write that way, it's beautiful. And if he's truly narcissistic and writing that way, then it's even more beautiful. Like if it's- Yeah, if that's if real. It's, yeah. If it's <laughs> un, I mean, if that was real, it would be art. Yeah, fair. Who do you, who do you like?
0: Um, I couldn't really say in surf, to be honest. Yeah, I, I I've got to be honest. I'm not I'm not an avid consumer of surf media, really. Yeah. Like, um, I'm not really an avid consumer of any of the action boy media, really. Which is weird because I work in it. Um, like, if I have to, like, I edited a snowboard magazine last winter, so you know, I, I, I looked at a lot of it then.
1: And there's a few there's a few people that are, that, that are good, you know, for sure. But- I don't, I don't know that anybody is avid consumers of action sports media anymore, to be honest. I mean, looking or, or kind of vaguely knowing what the numbers for Stab, Surfline... I mean, Beach Grit absolutely crushes all media here, which, I mean, we're, I think, twice as big as Surfline, right? Which is asinine to think that... But, you know, it's because we write about sharks and other stupid <laughs> stuff that gets gets clicks, right? But the like the consumption, I think people used to identify as these things and they I just don't think they do anymore, like by and large, so you have very small, tiny few people reading this stuff, and that's it,
0: yeah, whenever I used to pitch I used to run a snow snowball magazine for a long time, and it got to like a new editor came in and I pitched him a story only a few years ago, and he said, "There's only so much we can force people to eat the greens, yeah, <laughs> and I was like wow that's that's accomplice all isn't it <laughs> he's like basically not enough people are interested in your hand on chin bullshit you know yeah but but he's right isn't he as you yeah, yeah, said no. you know i just
1: i think that very very few people i mean the people who read or consume action sports media you could probably put them on one small school bus
0: yeah i've not really thought about that but you, you are right aren't you <laughs> i'm trying to think i'm trying to think now i try to think of films as well there's I think a few, the, the, there's a the, few good filmmakers in snowboarding right now. There's a I kid, think, there's a guy called Jerome Tannon who, even though, even if you don't give a fuck about snowboarding, actually, um, he made a very, very good film called the eternal beauty of snowboarding, which is a real great send up of the form. Okay. That, that, Ooh. And, and that's really worth what,
1: that will know it. I yeah. Think. Okay. Uh, the, the, uh, I think that the canvas of action sports is still some of the most beautiful on earth. I think, I mean, I think there's, uh, infinite amount of beautiful surf films, snowboard films, even you know, or skate films that could still be made. Just writing about it, I've, I think. Oops, you know, yeah. Maybe this just it's done. It's been said. Oops. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> pretty. Hey man, pretty. well, I'll I'll let you go because we've been we've been gassing away for over an hour, which has been which went pretty quick. So yeah, so you're gonna write. You're gonna you're gonna just spend the day writing that's the plan
1: so and I'll, I'll go get a red tide surf today too it's super red tide down here but yeah late afternoon i'll go grab one
0: nice and what so final question then when this is because you, you can't travel you guys at the minute can you so we're not when, supposed to
1: when it lifts where are you gonna go i don't know there's talk about it all the time feeling this uh trapped down so right now it's either we'll probably go to either paris uh, Tokyo or Mexico so those are the ones getting bandied about for our summer summer trip nice yeah
0: N- nice man thanks Chaz That's great really enjoyed it
1: oh I did too thanks for the time and I yeah apologize to all the listeners who have to listen to me blather on for. for well I'll point, I'll point I, them I'll... in the direction
0: of your other podcast as well okay. if they want any more <laughs> don't <laughs> <laughs> so there you go that was me and Charlie um, slash Chaz not for me to say whether I get to call him Charlie yet, really. Greatly enjoyed that conversation for his honesty, his openness, his willingness to go there. And at times, his, you know, his painful self-awareness. As ever, I'm looking forward to meeting him in person when this is all over. If you want to check out more from Charlie, I mean, where would you start? Like I said, the output is, is incredible, really. I mean, you could try Beach Grit, obviously, if that description at the top didn't put you off. You could try his podcast. I think he's got two of his own. He's got dirty water with Derek, which is the beach group one. Then he's got the grit that he does with David Lee Scales, which is probably the one that I prefer to be honest, because I find that David tempers some of the meaner tendencies that can come through in that whole world. Um, but they're both very entertaining. You know, they're 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 worth a look if you like. You know, if you want to find out more. But really, I'd recommend starting with his his books, particularly Welcome to Paradise. Now go to Hell, which. Um, is about his adventures on the north North shore of Hawaii which as he kind of acknowledged himself is probably his most successful book Um, I'm very much looking forward to reading the Yemen book when it does come out but most of all I'm just looking forward to seeing whether Chaz finds an exit really and a proper outlet for his obviously huge talent and empathy which is clearly a big part of who he is despite the impression you might get from the there's those inverted commas again Chaz Smith output all right Housekeeping Corner, huge response to my Terrier interview, which is already one of the most popular episodes ever, not least because I premiered it on YouTube. Thanks to everyone who kicked things off over there by subscribing. Um, I'll be putting all my Type 2 live episodes on there over the next few weeks, and I'm continuing to experiment with the idea of releasing these things on video. I'll keep you posted on that. I mean, I've, I've re- video recorded a couple, and they do look a bit shit. But then everyone else is doing it. So maybe it's time for me to just get over it and bang a few up there. Not starting with Chaz, but maybe in the future. Anyway, if you do want to subscribe, you can find me as Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast over on YouTube or by the link in my bio bio over Instagram. But yeah, thanks to everyone who got in touch about the episode. Really glad to hear everybody enjoyed hearing from terry um looking listening back i did wish i'd pushed him harder on a few things but i think i've realized that it just means i'll have to get him on again at some point so there you go anyway on the snowboard nostalgia tip i highly recommend checking out the new instagram account set up by my old pal and podcast guest nick hamilton you can find it at tw snowboarding or lowercase all low all one word sorry um if you like the read and destroy instagram and you want to look back at some of the most iconic photography and snowboarding I highly recommend it. It's got off to a great start. And I think it's going to, if you like this podcast, it's going to be right up your boulevard. Anyway, speaking of Type 2 Live, as I just did, I'm back this Friday with a new interview with none other than the great Hugo Taghome of Surfers Against Sewage. Love Hugo. Can't wait to catch up with him virtually. As ever, he'll be taking over the Patagonia Europe Instagram account. You can tune in either by um, tuning in there or you can follow me at we Look Sideways on Instagram. And 8 p.m. this coming Friday, the uh, 11th, I believe, which is the bank holiday. In fact, I'm going to have to look that up because I might have give you... No, it's the 8th. Good job I looked it up. Fuck knows where I got the 11th from. It's the 8th of May. It's VE Day, in fact. It's a bank holiday in the UK. 8 p.m. British Standard Summertime. Uh, 9 p.m. GM, uh, Central European Time, even... I'll be live with Hugo Tag home. You can send in questions to me over at my Instagram, but I'll be posting about that over there, letting you all know what's going on. Final plug before I go off for another week. I mean, I just want to say thanks to everyone who's bought some merchandise really from the shop tab on my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. It's really very much appreciated. As everyone knows, because I harp on about it enough, I'm really keen to keep the podcast ad-free and free to air. And every merch purchase, social share, particularly of the new YouTube stuff on Facebook, I'm just going to say. And even, you know, word of mouth plug is another step towards me being able to keep this ad free and free to air. So thanks. All right, that's it for this week. See you next time. Nice one.